0: Hello, everybody. Welcome. Once again, as we continue on in our study of the New Testament, working through the New Testament a chapter at a time, and, uh, which is a five-year endeavor, as we've figured out. We're two years in, two years plus, and we have gone through Matthew, Mark, we did the book of John, then we went and did the book of Luke because we wanted to do Luke and Acts together. And uh, the reason for that is Luke and Acts were both written by... Luke, thank you, didn't forget that, did we? Written to a man named, which means, thank you very much, at least you got those things intact. Luke was a historian, he was very good at the way that he researched and and recorded the events that that we read, taking us really from the uh, Jesus entrance into the scene and even a little of the prehistory of that, through his ministry, through the resurrection, Crucifixion, resurrection, uh, moving us into the book of Acts, uh, to uh, his hanging out with the disciples, the ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in uh, chapters 2, the beginning of the church, and then jumping us into the activities of the early church. And uh, in verses 3 and 4 and, and even 5, we see the apostles doing some things, the, the church is growing in Jerusalem, mighty things are happening. Um, last week we looked at chapters six and seven. We, we saw that there was a little problem um, because the, uh, the, the, the widows of the Greek-speaking uh, believers didn't feel like, uh, or the, the Greek-speaking didn't feel like their widows were getting taken care of in the distribution of food. So the apostles get together and they decide that they're going to appoint seven men to oversee that and. Uh, we know by the inclusion of the names of these men that they they picked a lot of uh, greek speaking believers to oversee this problem, which solved the problem and and uh, the church began to grow. Um, Luke in in six and seven primarily gives us the ministry of Stephen, which we talked about in detail uh, last week, and chapter eight is is tied closely to six and seven because uh, Primarily, we're going to be looking at um, Philip. And if you went back in in the book in in Acts um, 6, you would see that when these guys were appointed, that that he mentioned Stephen and then Philip, and now he's writing us a little bit about their stories. And uh, it demonstrates what we've been talking about from the uh, onset, and what I like to keep bringing up, and then make sure that you guys have a, a, a handle of. The book of Acts... While it's completed, and we're not adding to canon any longer, at some level it continues on in the church today. We're, we're still doing the, those sort of acts that Jesus called us to. And his, his disciples, we're to be led by the and empowered by the Spirit to do the exact same stuff. And so uh, while we're not adding to canon any longer, we're still in some measure ought to be able to relate to what's happening here because it continues on in us. And, and that it's important for us to to grasp that concept that the church fascinating that the church just continues to be the church in in the world that that we're called to now obviously at different times the church has been received in different ways and uh, has gone through all sorts of different ups and downs and and uh, persecutions as we'll talk about to this day but but what we're about to encounter and what we saw with Stephen is um, Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, kicks off this tremendous persecution of the church in Jerusalem. At that time, this big persecution happens, um, primarily at the hands of a guy named Saul. And uh, Saul's a pretty interesting guy, and he's, he's, he's got a lot of zeal to, to destroy the church violently, and yet um, he's going to have his own encounter with the Lord in chapter 9. And so uh, he's, he's messing things up in this chapter, but then uh, the Lord sort of gets a hold of him, and, and uh, this Saul that we're reading about is the Apostle Paul. And so it's pretty fascinating stuff to watch what happens in the process. So that's where we're up to as we come to chapter 8. Remember, Stephen has been martyred, um, and uh, Saul was there, and Saul is in the beginning of, of, of chapter 8. We'll see him happening, and then primarily it's about the ministry of Philip, and we have to talk about Simon, the magician, uh, as well, in this process. And there's some interesting stuff in chapter 8. I think it's a great, a lot of stuff in the book of Acts that can give us an opportunity to ponder and think. And uh, I like that about the scripture. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 40. I'll read it, and then we'll discuss it together for a few minutes before we call it an evening. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. Quite a nickname. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the change and in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns, until he reached... Caesarea, and blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so, um, as I said, eight, chapter 8 is tied in pretty closely to 6 and 7, um, because of the whole introduction of the seven, and uh, uh, the seven men that were chosen, and, and uh, we, we saw sort of Stephen's ministry. And, and note that the ministry is not um, the sole... Uh, function of the apostles that the church is out ministering. And it's very, very important that you see this. See, it's, everyone is out there ministering. Even, uh, you know, as Barry likes to talk about Stephen, the guy who was called to distribute the food and serve the food. Uh, Stephen was doing some really powerful stuff. Philip, another guy, is doing the same thing. He's preaching the word. He's praying for people. Miracles are happening. Things are going. It's a pretty significant deal. And so we, we get these recorded events in in these chapters. Um, I think so that you can see the progression of the growth of the church and, and the ministry of the church that it's never been intended to be left to just a few people at the top. Um, it's a ministry for the entire church using their gifts to move into the things that God has called them to. So in the first three verses of Acts 8, um, Stephen is buried and he's mourned um, for uh, deeply while Saul sets out to try and violently destroy the church. The, the wording and the way that he's dragging people out of their homes is a very violent action. This is a huge contrast, and Paul, I mean, Luke loves to write with contrast. Um, here's a contrast about one who just died for the church, and here's another guy who's trying to kill it. And so they're, they're set in contrast with um, one another. And yet, chapter 9, we're going to see Saul have his own encounter with the Lord, and uh, it will change not only his life, but the life of the church and our lives ultimately for us because Saul, the apostle Paul, writes most of the New Testament um, under the anointing of the Spirit. And so it's a huge deal that's, uh, that's coming up. And this persecution, it says on that day, persecution happened. And so what happens is the church um, disperses. They take off. They get out of there. Um, it says, all except the apostles. There's obviously still some people around besides the apostles because the church in Jerusalem continues to grow. But I think that really what happens is that the, the, the group of believers that was speaking in Greek are very easily identifiable to the people that are persecuting the church, and so they bail out of there. Because the Aramaic speakers, the, the people that were from there, can kind of blend a little. They're less of a target. And so um, this big chunk of believers... Takes off and and they get out of there in the process. And I love verse four is one of my, my favorite verses um, in, in the in the scripture because it, it says this. See, they're being persecuted by Paul, by the by Saul, and he's after them big time. And it four and verse four I love it. It says those who've been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See you can't the church thrives under persecution, always has. And and so the, they're trying to stop. Get, the whole time they've been trying to stop this thing, it just keeps growing and growing and growing because you can't stop what God is doing. You just can't. And, and so the, the persecution they're trying doesn't. What it does is it just takes the church from Jerusalem and begins to move it out. Now, um, I want you to remember Acts 1-8, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, because these were the words of Jesus to his disciples prior to the ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power, Jesus said to them, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus was was telling them how this thing was gonna come down and it would start in Jerusalem and then it would begin to spread. And in fulfillment of those words, it's starting to spread. Now, I'm not sure that they thought that it would get spread because of persecution when it was their minds. But sometimes you know, God uses things we can't even begin to imagine to make things happen. And so this persecution breaks out on the church and the church, uh, a lot of those people, they disperse, they head out in all sorts of spots and everywhere they go, they're telling people about Jesus. And people are responding to the good news just as they respond today. And, and so it's neat because I think the, the scripture says they move out into Judea and Samaria initially. And Philip is, is uh, he, just, he leaves, and he's ministering with tremendous impact, the scripture tells us, in Samaria. And many people are healed and delivered, and, and it says that great joy breaks out in the city, because Philip is there doing this, this powerful ministry that God has sent him to, and off he goes, and he's there, and he's just being the church. So that's all he's doing is being the church. That's, the guys, when they go out everywhere they go, they'll just be in the church and telling people about Jesus. That's what the church does, right? We love people, we're, we care for folks, and we, we look for opportunities to ultimately tell them about Jesus. And, and it's, it's the same thing that they were doing back then. Now, in verses 9 through 13, Simon gets into the picture, the sorcerer, and I want to talk about him, but I want to, we'll come back to him in a minute, because we can talk about him better in in another verse. In in verses 14 through 17, this neat thing happens, is that um, the apostles are still in Jerusalem. They hear about this revival taking place in Samaria, and so they send Peter and John to go check it out, and uh, I always get that picture of Peter and John sort of being the adventurers anyway. Not that they all weren't, but there's something happened in Samaria. You guys need to go see what it is. Remember, the the Jewish people too had a very strange relationship with the Samaritans, um, because they they um, I want to be careful. I use my word, but but the, the word that I they, they sort of considered the mongrels. They were they were sort of a mix of Judaism and the surrounding peoples. They were part of an exile uh, of of uh, Jewish people like 700 years before, and so if you remember in, in the, our reading of the Gospels, that um, the, the Jewish people would not associate with the Samaritans. They would go out of their way to go around, which is why it was such a big deal when Jesus went cut right through Samaria and had that ministry time with the Samaritan woman. So there has not been much contact, and, and, uh, and, and it's fascinating to see that Peter and John are willing to go. But you know why they're willing to go? They saw Jesus do it. And if Oh, well, Jesus went, so we should go. So um, Philip and John show, uh, um, Philip and, uh, Peter and John show up, and they see that these things are indeed happening, and when they get there, they pray for the folks that are there, and the Holy Spirit comes on these Samaritan believers. Now, this is one of those things that brings up a lot of discussion in the church and, and where people go, um, and it's all good discussion. But I think that the, the most important thing you have to see in these events is that it's a, it's a validation of Acts 1-8 because Jesus said, my, my spirit will come on you and, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Um, here it's a validation of the Holy Spirit as he comes on the believers uh, there powerfully uh, in Samaria, so Judea and Samaria, and we'll see it again happen in chapter 10 when, it, when the Holy Spirit falls on the household of Cornelius that it's, it's just backing up Jesus' words in Acts one eight, and so Peter and John come and they pray for these folks, and the Holy Spirit comes, and there's this uh, this amazing uh, renewal, revival, breakthrough thing that's happening there in Samaria. It's just a fascinating ministry. Also fascinating that when Peter and John leave, it says they go by all sorts of other Samaritan villages and preach the word. Huge, huge, huge impact. That 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 this would have not been something that any any Jewish folks would have done prior to. Uh, th- th- what Jesus had done. And still, we we're only a few months out from the whole crucifixion, resurrection. Powerful stuff that's going on. All right, let's talk for a minute about Simon because he, he's the main character in 9 through 13 and 18 through 24, and it's, it brings up another pretty interesting thing to think about. Um, Simon was a magician and, uh, or a sorcerer. Um, and he, he, he dabbled in um, the occult, the, the dark arts, things that are forbidden uh, scripturally. And he was known, his nickname was the Great Power, which is kind of fascinating. So, so he was able to do some stuff that kept these people fairly amazed. And, and yet, he's astonished, along with the rest of the, the Samaritan uh, folks there, uh, at the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Philip. And in verse 13, it says this, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Interesting verse. Think about that for a minute. Because something happens in verse 18 and 19 that, that will, will cause some discussion. Um, it says this, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. Because um, he, he wants to keep his gig going. He's had a gig. I mean, he's been making his living as a sorcerer, as doing these things. And now the people have found something better and he's sort of thinking, hmm, I'm gonna, it's going to be bad for business. Um, but this Holy Spirit thing looks pretty good. So I think I'll buy my way into that and I'll get the franchise out here in Samaria. And the response of Peter is fascinating because remember verse 13. It says that Philip believed and was baptized. But listen to this and see what you think about this description of... It says that Simon, I'm sorry, believed Philip and was baptized and uh, believed in the Lord and was baptized. Listen to what Peter says to the same Simon. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. That's pretty interesting stuff. Repent of the wickedness and pray to the Lord, perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So the debate is what was Philip I mean what was Simon doing in verse 13? when he believed and was baptized? Was he real? Was he sincere? Did he mean it? Did he not mean it? Is there a difference? Does it make a difference? Is it possible to be like this and be saved? Was he saved? Was he not saved? What happened? Where did it go? We don't know. And it brings up all sorts of questions and if you're looking for me to answer them, I don't know. I have some ideas. The reason I toss it out there like that is, those, when you answer those questions, it tells you a lot about how you believe, what you believe. And where you go with that, and i you know, it's there's a lot of streams of thought. It's, you know, but did he just sin, or did he ever really get it? And is, is there a difference? And and, um, you know, did he did he believe in faith in Christ, or did he just sort of believe in what was happening? Was his, was he sincere in his baptism, or just something to do? Or does it matter? Good things to think about, isn't it? The description of Peter's pretty rough, though. Well, your heart's wrong. You can't be a part of this ministry until you get your heart right. Pray and repent. and But, you know, I don't know what happens. There's some tradition in the church that says he never did get it right and he started some cult, um, but we don't have any Bible for that. I don't know. Maybe he repented and got it right, but we never hear about him again in Scripture. That was it. That's his, that's his deal. But I think it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Okay, now in the last... Chunk of scripture in 26 through 40. Um, Philip has this encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch. And, and I, I don't miss some very powerful things here because it talks about, you know, it gives you the character of Philip. Here, Philip goes to Samaria and an out, a revival breaks out. Things are happening. The Lord's using him. Mighty stuff is going on. Very cool stuff. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, Hey, I need you to go somewhere else. And he just says, okay. And, and the Lord sends Peter and John over to finish up and do some stuff. But he says, Philip, I got something else for you. Sometimes, you know, the Lord will use you to start something and then have you move into something else just because he needs you to do it. And it sometimes might be one of, Philip might want to hung out there. This is a cool spot, man. Look at the stuff that's going on. But the Lord said, now nah, I got something else for you. So, uh, and actually, it's neat because um, what happens is that the, an angel speaks to him. First off, the angel of the Lord speaks to him in verse 26 and says, all right, you need to to head down the the road where you're going. And uh, and so he does, and he sees this Ethiopian in a chariot. And um, it's pretty interesting that the Ethiopian is reading Isaiah chapter 53. I think it might be a divine appointment. And... In 26, an angel tells Philip to go, and in verse 29 or 30, um, the Holy Spirit says, go hang out by that guy. And so Philip trots over, and there's a guy reading Isaiah 53. You know, he's got the scroll thing happening, and he's reading it out loud. And uh, (laughs) Philip's like, hey, what you reading? (laughs) You understand it? And the guy's like, how can I? And it's an invitation to preach. And so he uses that very scripture. And it's a scripture about what happened to Jesus just a few months ago. And he picks it up from there and leads him through the scriptures and leads him to Christ. And, and uh, again, I see, I think, contrast here in, in the response of Simon, who was just looking for himself. And here's, here's an Ethiopian eunuch who's, uh, who, who responds in such a way that he, he, when he comes by some water, he says, hey, there's some water, man. Why don't, why don't you, bap- I need to get baptized. And Philip says, "Okay," and uh, they they hop off the chariot and they go and, and they baptize the Ethiopian. And something happens too here um, when they come up out of the the water. It's not it's not you have to really look at it, but it says that the spirit of the Lord took Philip away. And I have this picture, and he goes and he and he ends up 40 miles away in another place. If you look at a map, and it's like the. <laughs> And, and the Lord can do this stuff. So he, he goes into the water in this spot with the open, and I kind of believe he comes up out of the water and he's in a different spot. And, and it's like, well, that's cool. <laughs> I pray like that sometimes when we I out at Bay of Honda, you know, <laughs> go under and boom. now I'm still there. But you never know. <laughs> so um, so he, this, thing, this amazing thing happens, and it doesn't really get much, of, much cover. Uh, in the scripture, but, but the, the spirit of God does something pretty neat there. And then um, he he's, he's goes to Azotus and then into Caesarea. And uh, it's pretty cool because apparently when you read on in the book of Acts, he settles down there in Caesarea. That's where the Lord plants him. Um, you, you would think it would be great to start in the work he'd already started back there in Samaria, but the Lord said, no, I got somewhere else for you. And he ends up in Caesarea because in Acts 21, verse 8, you want to mark it down and look at later, 20 years later, we get our next mention of Philip. Uh, And and the guys are on a journey and says, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. Pretty cool. Still connected, but doing his thing. God using him, spreading what's happening throughout the region and area. And I'm out of time. So that's Acts chapter 8. If you're watching by video, thanks for watching. And uh, if you have any questions or need anything, you can call us or write us. We're going to go ahead and pray as a group here tonight. So you guys can turn the video off. And uh, if you have a prayer requests filled out, pass them up to me and I will pray for them. And we'll call it an evening.